Do we have a name for this miniseries? Ryan Johnson series? I don't know. <laughs> the Johnsons? The <laughs> no, that that'd be if he was like coming back. The, yeah. the Johnson Show. The yeah. the Ryan Shrine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No, I don't. I think a... I don't think we need a name for it. Okay. I think it's fine. Okay. The more I talk about it, the weirder that sounds. <laughs> Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy Hello and welcome to a Ryan Johnson miniseries of Feeling It. During these troubled times, we are deep diving into each of the films of writer-director Ryan Johnson. This week, we will be examining his 2008 con man movie, The Brothers Bloom. But before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves and answer the question, where would your con artist hideout be? I'm Sandra Omstutz, and I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, after a long life of conning people out of their money, I think I would tuck myself away in Greece and live out my Mamma Mia fantasies and con people for love. Um, <laughs> I love it. I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from Chicago, and I was also thinking a Mediterranean place. I was thinking Kosovo. Uh. It's not a place a lot of people go to. It's still close to the Mediterranean. You can get around Europe that way. Um, I Yeah, I think we're on the same page. Yeah. Let's, let's live by the ocean. Let's take it easy. <laughs> let's do it. After we're, we've made our millions right. swindling people. <laughs> right. Live a simple life. Oh, yes. <laughs> So before we jump into the Brothers Bloom, every week we like to talk about something we've discovered or rediscovered. So Sandra, what are you feeling this week? I just want to say that during this quarantine, I find myself not watching as much as many like movies and shows as I used to. Um, I feel like I can't handle a lot of emotional investment at this point. So <laughs> um, I find myself actually like checking out new podcasts more often than anything else. So you might hear a lot of podcast recommendations from me in the future. Um, the first one I'm going to start off with is a podcast called Dead Eyes. It is um, hosted and created by an actor and comedian. His name is Connor Ratliff. If you've watched a lot of comedies, um, you like in comedic TV shows, you probably would recognize his face. He's been on the Chris Gethard show, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He's like big at the UCB. He's just like, um, he's, he has like a lot of small parts and a lot of stuff. And he's kind of a well-known, um, really funny guy and improviser. Uh, he has created this podcast, Dead Eyes, that is, has the tone of something like Serial where it's like he has a mystery that he needs to solve. Um, and it has that kind of seriousness of tone, while not being a parody of Serial, which I would have very little patience for, I think. It's, um, it's, a, it's a show that just like kind of takes inspiration from that format. But rather than like solving the case of like a, a, a murder, um, his quest, his like big mystery is why did um, Tom Hanks fire him from a small from the small role he was cast in H the HBO mini miniseries Band of Brothers back in two thousand one? <laughs> so the and, and so the story goes, and you'll hear it many times throughout the podcast, but that he was cast in a very small role in this miniseries that Tom Hanks was directing, and Tom Hanks saw camera like his audition footage and said like oh no we can't use this guy he has dead eyes and <laughs> connor ratliff had to come back in re-audition in front of tom hanks and then after that second audition was fired from this show um, oh my gosh a show that would have been like his big break it would have been his like biggest thing that he would have ever been in um and that he was technically personally fired by Tom Hanks for having dead eyes is something that's kind of plagued him as an actor for all of these years. 
Um, yeah. So the show is about like, how did this all play out? Like, how did this even happen? You know, why did this, why did these events take place? Um, that's like the, the central mystery and question of the show. Um, <laughs> but it's also a show that's like about bigger themes. It's about show business. It's about rejection. It's about how show business is like very fickle and how people still plug away at it anyway. And he has all sorts of, he has on guests that were related to Band of Brothers or related to the casting <laughs> process, but he also has on actors like John Hamm, who um, know him from other projects, or people who kind of have worked with Tom Hanks, or people who have been done casting before. Um, he has Ryan Johnson on this, the director that we're talking about right now, because mm. he has kind of like this weird. Tied to Ryan Johnson that I think is very interesting and cool. It's a surprisingly thoughtful and emotional podcast that has like a very silly premise. Um, and I'm finding it very, very lovely. That's awesome. I have never seen Band of Brothers, but it's been one. It's been one of those shows that like everybody talks about. And like so many people have like started their career in Band of, Band of Brothers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, that I think I think it's really funny to 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 think of this guy as like the guy who almost was part of that crew. Well, and I, I think also so. I think a lot of the humor from the show is and he works very hard to make it clear like he's not villainizing Tom Hanks. Like he doesn't think Tom Hanks yeah. is an asshole for firing him. But even still, even if that's his mindset now as an as like a, you know, um self-actualized adult Tom Hanks is technically the villain of his story. You know what I mean? And what does that mean for the celebrity that literally everyone loves? America's favorite celebrity to be the villain of your story. Yeah. And <laughs> how crazy that is. So, like, that's another fun aspect of this yeah. whole, you know, mystery. Yeah. Is there an end game to the podcast or is it just going to go for so, however long he wants it to go? I think there are. Let me see how many episodes there are. There's seven episodes so far. Um and I don't know how many are planned. I think he's mentioned several times that I think his ideal end game is to have Tom Hanks on the show. Um, but it's unclear <laughs> nice. about like how he can make that happen and you know how Tom Hanks will feel about all this. Again, he stresses throughout like, I don't want Tom Hanks to think that I'm called that this is a show where I'm calling him out and that he should yeah. feel bad about this. Like, but I do want to ask him like, is what I heard true? Cause he didn't hear it straight from Tom Hanks mouth. Someone told right, him, right. Tom Hanks, thinks you have <laughs> dead eyes. Like, did that really happen? Like, you oh know, like what, you know, what was that? Pro do I actually, do you still think I have dead eyes? Like, <laughs> I think he wants to hear, speak to Tom Hanks directly. Um, we'll yeah. see if we get there. Like Serial, I think this That's is a hilarious. show without a planned end. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I really can't stress how well... I don't really like podcasts usually that are like produced. I like them that are like off the cuff and conversational. Um, yeah. And this one is produced in such a great way. Nice. That's Dead Eyes. Yeah. I'll check that out. What are you feeling this week, Lucas? So Phoebe Judge is a podcaster who does shows for Radiotopia like Criminal and This Is Love. And during this time where she's not doing a lot of investigating and stuff like that, she um, just started reading a mystery novel over a podcast. Um, so every morning she releases a just one episode, which is a chapter of the mystery novel that she's reading. And so she started with Agatha Christie's um, first book. Um, the mystery affair, the mysterious, the mysterious affair at Styles, um, and she has just started Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, The Hounds of Baskerville. But just each episode is just one chapter um, of this book, and it's a great way of of just kind of list of it's it's a great way of listening to an audiobook. It's just somebody reading it to you um, out loud. So so me and my wife have just been kind of at night. Um, listening you know putting it on listening to the podcast while we do a puzzle or something and drink tea and it's one of the most relaxing things we've done in a very long time that sounds very very lovely um yeah i, I 
are Agatha Christie's books out of like past the copyright? Are they aged out of copyright? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So she's that's that's one of the one of the things is she's she's only doing older books that are outside of um, any kind of copyright protection. Right. She, so obviously Agatha Christie, some of Agatha, I think only some of Agatha Christie's are are outside of that window, whatever. Yeah. But, um, a lot of Arthur Conan Doyle. So. It's interesting. So we're, we, I mean, we're all, we've only, we're only reading the first book at this point in time. Um, we're not far enough into this quarantine for that, um, but <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah, that is like something that I like when this all kind of started. I was like, maybe I'll start reading a book over Instagram Live or something. You know, like, um, mm-hmm. or I have several books that have like scripts in them. Like having friends do a script reading. I feel like, yeah, in this time is like when we all should be really creative about spending time with people, listening to things, being creative. Um, so I love hearing about new projects like that. Yes. I think it's, I think it's a really smart move cause it's super easy too. It's just her reading right. <laughs> in front of a microphone. Um, but yeah, that's, it's always inspiring to do something creative after, after listening to something like that. Right. So, so that's Phoebe reads a mystery. It's available on all podcast apps. Wonderful. All right. You ready to get into our main topic? Yes. Ryan Johnson's second movie, The Brothers Bloom. Okay. So last week we talked about Brick um, and his first, Ryan Johnson making his first movie um, in 2005. Um, this movie came out in 2008. Sandra, tell me, what is your history with the Brothers Bloom? So I'm so glad you asked because I had never seen this movie. I had heard about it. Um, I was aware of it. I, I knew it was Ryan Johnson's second film. Um, and I was, when we were doing this series, very excited to finally watch it because I had remembered like seeing things about it or trailers in the past and being like, that looks like a movie I would love. Um, and before I sat down to watch it for this podcast, I was like, you know, let me watch the trailer so I can like really prepare myself (laughs) for the tone of this film. And Lucas, I'm so glad that I did watch the trailer (laughs) because do you ever get two movies that sound the same, like confused with each other? Oh no. When we what were, did you have this confused for? When we were planning for? this series, I was like, man, this movie might be my new favorite movie. It's Ryan Johnson. It's about con artists, but it's also about fairy tales. And like, I'm going to love this movie. And then I realized after watching the trailer that I was melding the Brothers Bloom with the Brothers Grimm. Which is oh my gosh. a different movie about two con artist brothers <laughs> played by Heath Ledger and Matt Damon set in a fairy right. tale world. Yes. <laughs> and they con people using fairy tales in that movie. And I was like, yes, this is going to be great. It's con artist plus it's fairy tales. Ryan Johnson and fairy tales. I'm going to like be <laughs> so into this. <laughs> and then I watched the trailer for Brothers Bloom and I was like, huh. No fairy tales. Then I realized yeah. I was thinking of Brothers Grimm, and I watched the trailer for Brothers Grimm, and that movie does not look good. So no, that movie is bad. That yeah. movie is real bad. So it oh. it all worked. Well, I'm glad out you for didn't the watch the Brothers Bloom expecting <laughs> Matt Damon and Heath Ledger to show up. Well, and I didn't. I knew it was Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> okay, but I think I okay. probably yeah. thought it was Mark Ruffalo and Matt Damon. To be honest, yeah, <laughs> and I thought that it was about like fairy tales i thought i was like mark ruffalo and fairy tales this is the best yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be fair this movie does have some fairy tale aspects to it but i don't think you'd ever bring that up to somebody in you know conversation of oh you know it's a fairy tale (laughs) um that being said i went in with proper expectations after watching good good trailer um what about you had it had you seen this movie before yeah so i saw this movie um only a couple years ago. This was another one that I missed. Um, and I ended up watching this movie before before The Last Jedi came out. Okay. So um, I'd seen Looper and and Brick and realized that I had somehow missed um, The Brothers Bloom along the way. And so I wanted to see it before his Star Wars movie. Um, 
and getting into kind of what I feel about it, I this I love this movie. I this is one of my favorite movies of his. Um, I think he does a really great job with kind of diving into a world. And I, we said this with brick is just like committing to like, I'm going to make this type of movie, but make it the way that I want to make it have some kind of, um, interesting, you know, not twist, but like some interesting take on a, this type of movie, which seems to be his thing. Um, and for this one, I love a car, love, love a con, con artist movie. Um, I love mean, a, mo- a movie with a good cast. We should so. say that Lucas, like, Heist and con, con artist films are like mm-hmm. our combined favorite genre. Like, I don't think it's your specific it's and it's not my personal favorite, but like as a team, it's our favorite genre. I think as a nation, that's our favorite genre. I <laughs> don't think, think so? there's a genre so. that really, I think, I think collectively everybody would get together and be like, we all love a good heist movie. <laughs> I think people will have very specifics, but I don't think office... anybody is down on a heist movie. I mean, they would make more so, of them if that was the case. Would they, though? I don't know. I really don't know. I think I think heist movies are hard to make, and I think I think people make a lot of bad ones. I think, and so I think like there's a lot of like B movie heist movies, like a lot of trash, um, like Nicolas Cage, like yes, there's tons of them. Like every old actor in Hollywood is making genre? like a horror I mean, action. Okay, action slash con man slash heist like i feel like that whole thing gets kind of put together and released to the chinese market starring jean cusack all the time <laughs> okay i disagree with you on but, this but nevertheless okay. you and i really love like these types of movies oh yeah for sure we we're there every single time yeah <laughs> one of these movies comes out my first um, like favorite romance novel was about a con artist and i think it really shaped me in a, in a formal way <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um overall I do think like like I said I feel like these movies are hard to do well. Mm-hmm. Um which I think is one of the reasons I like them so much is cuz when they are good they just are impressive. Right. Um and I think this movie does a really good job of walking the line between kind of leading you, you know, where they want you to go and kind of pulling the rug out from under you. So you don't feel <laughs> you don't feel like completely tricked um as in as in like i could never figure this out and then you also don't feel like um you didn't feel like you had misjudged expectation coming into this movie so um everybody in it is fantastic i love love so much of what they did with all of these characters and the costumes and the way people talk about each other or don't talk about each other it's beautiful i love this movie i really had such a great time i would say like i I definitely have some issues with it both as a heist film and as like some with what what they do with some of the characters but um what i like about this film that sets it apart from any other like con artist movie is i think that it nails down like the ethos of a con artist and it like spells it out in a way that most of them the good ones know but don't say out loud and the bad ones don't get um which the ethos being that like con artists are grand storytellers and like that's Mm -hmm. what makes them good at being a con artist is like their creativity and their penchant for storytelling and this one like spells that out and makes it very clear that that's what this con artist is doing um yeah and i think like i said a good con artist movie like you see that throughout the film um and I loved, I love when people like frame storytelling as a way of living. And, um, it's like what it's why I love like books like, um, like Don Miller's book, that million miles in a thousand years where he talks mm-hmm. about like using storytelling, as a framing device for like living out your life. And I'm a sucker for that. Like, um, And so this movie I was definitely a sucker for because that is like the big message of this movie. And um, yeah. And so like compared to most heist films or con artist movies where it's all about like the cleverness and the glamour. um, This one had like a real emotional core. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. in addition to also being very stylish, um, which was also, you know, which which let me have fun throughout as well. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's necessary in a movie like this. (laughs) Right. Um, Having some style. It was really interesting to see this as like his second movie because, um, you know, we see we're, we're as we're looking at all of his films, we're seeing him genre hop and still like take things from. And that what's universal and what's him genre hopping, you know, we're, we're I'm examining mm-hmm. those things. Um, yeah. And also seeing like how his style changes. And it was very interesting to start this movie because the opening has like a different stylistic setup than the rest of the film. And mm-hmm. it felt very Wes Anderson to me. Like, yes. I think a lot in this movie feels very Wes Anderson, but especially the beginning. I thought, wow, like. I've never seen this from Ryan Johnson before. Um, and it's interesting to see him like try on a style like that. Yeah. I think um, obviously like him just starting out, I think this is uh, apparently he kind of had the idea for this movie before brick. Um, and this feels like a kind of a first movie situation where it's mm-hmm. like, I have this cool idea and I have got to, like a bunch of cool things to put in this movie. Um, but I think making brick, kind of helped him shape this into a more cohesive movie because you're right the first part feels very different than the rest of the movie but it it does give you a good introduction to these characters and what they want and everything um but it feels very wes anderson you can really feel the influences there yeah yeah also like brick this was a movie that it's like you gotta watch it with the subtitles on because the language is so specific that i didn't want to miss a miss a turn of phrase Mm. (laughs) yeah i think this is his writing style and the way he writes dialogue is i I think we're still in this point in his career where he feels i don't know if he feels smug but it comes across as a little smug of just like look at how smart i am Mm -hmm. um he writes and i do think like he writes very smart dialogue like very snappy i think it's really interesting i just think that there is um a, there's in this movie specifically there's a lot of emphasis put on the dialogue and i think the same way in brick that is stylized for the genre right that is very much like this is we're doing this kind of movie so i'm gonna do some dialogue that's like this and have a lot of fun with it well um, i mean and like I, I won't speak for you but part of my favorite thing about heist and con artist movies is the is the turns of phrase and the dialogue and the codes yeah. and you know oh yeah yeah, I'm definitely not thinking of it as a bad thing. Yeah. I think it definitely works, but I think that's something that he loves is like finding those sure. uh, subcultures and really getting into the dialogue and the and the yeah the the etymology of a lot of, a lot of the phrases yeah. and stuff. So I mean, which is always fun to see. I like Ryan Johnson because I think he's both visually a great filmmaker and a great storyteller. But like, I think mm-hmm. at his heart, he's a wordsmith, and yeah, and. I I will always prefer directors that are writers first. Um, I, I yeah. care more about story than I do about cameras. And, um, and so, like, that's one of the reasons I love him so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, totally agree. Okay. Do you want to get into the plot? Uh, I'm trying to th- wrap up. Or do you have anything brain. else to say? Yes, let's do it. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No. Crack and gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. Okay. So we start with them as children entering this town, and we get this poem that just kind of tells the story of them figuring out how to be con artists, basically. Which you're right. This um, is like the fairy tale aspect. Yes. Is this yes, opening. Very much so. Along with a few other little details. But like this one, this is where it really feels it the most. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the, the beginning and the, ver- and the very end are very fairy tale. Yeah. Um, um, and, and kind of work together well. But so so what is it? Yeah. So basically dreaming up these very elaborate (laughs) scenarios, uh, Steven dreaming up the very elaborate scenarios and bloom executing them. Um, I think it's hilarious that Adrian Brody's character goes by his last name (laughs) and then Mark Ruffalo is just Steven. Yeah. Um, that that was a quirk that like, there, there are sometimes quirks like that, that I think don't work in films because they only add to confusion. You know what I mean? 
Um, yeah. Like for me, it's like every time it comes up, it's like you're just wondering that instead of focusing on the film. And there, and yeah. if there's a good reason for it, if there's a payoff, I'm all for it. But if it's just to be a quirk, then sometimes I'm like, well, that seemed pointless. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so they set up, and you get the setup of that there was a twist at the end that that made them all made them come all come out all right. Um, at the end, even though they ended up losing what you think is losing all their money. Right. Um, so I, I loved that sequence. I thought it was very fun. I thought um, it was weird that it was narrated um, by someone who never comes back again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I but I, I do I do kind of like that that whole um, introduction sequence and how it transitions into the kind of the next con that they do. Uh, and you're kind of you kind of come into the end of a con that's very elaborate and very theatrical um, and just kind of how everybody gets what they want at the end of that. Um, I, that first, not the children con, but the first adult con that we see. Yes. I yeah. like really, really loved the details of like Stephen getting so wrapped up in his own like storytelling that he's like the the, the line that that bloom says is like the line that the guy's wife left him saying. And like, mm-hmm. like that and they're wearing the same outfit and they put it, put in front of the same fireplace right. and like all of the specific details to get him to, you know, to manipulate this guy. I think what I've always liked about con artists is that they understand psychology and like, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I love when we get a con artist story. That's not just like, Oh, they were very charming, but they like, deeply understand the psychology of their mark in a way that they can manipulate them. Yeah. 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 So this is Bloom's last con. Um, and he quits and moves to, to Montenegro. Um, but before that you have that party and I love, I love the party because you get a lot of the characters from, um, or a lot of the actors from brick, um, just kind of having cameos. So Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Lucas Haas is, is, are kind of hanging out in the background. No Fielding, you know, has a little conversation with <laughs> with Stephen. Um, you mean Noah and Segan? then what's her name? Noah Segan? What yes. did I say? I think Fielding. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Not Noah Fielding. Noah Segan. Right. And then the girl. I don't know her name. Um, uh, Nora somebody? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then she's got her cameo, which kind of playing the same character. A very femme fatale, like... <laughs> Um, it's yeah. Uh, I, see, I, I I thought that was. I didn't that was think so. Like she, this character seemed oh, really? more, like wide eyed and excited. You know. I guess that's true. Maybe I was just projecting. I think maybe so. <laughs> maybe like the the cost. Maybe the outfit was the same. Yeah, it's very nineteen twenties. So. Yeah. But anyway, so Bloom moves to Monaco, um, and then Stephen comes comes and finds him, and for one last job, they, he's got one last job for him, um, and so they become antique dealers and target Penelope, who I absolutely love the introduction to Penelope, the cars. Um, she drives up in the car, crashes the car, and immediately a new car drive, <laughs> drives up. I love that. I love that shot so much. Yeah. I, what I love about um, up until this point is that like it's almost impossible to place what time this movie is set in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love movies that feel like they don't, they're not, they're set out of time. Um, Mm -hmm. Cause so much of that, this feels like you're right. Like twenties, thirties, forties, but then like the sports car is very modern. (laughs) um, They have cell phones and um, I I love what he does with the costuming where you never fully know where you're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The costumes in this movie are absolutely just, just beautiful. All the hats. So many hats. Yes. <laughs> Love a hat. Yes. Um, and so basically you just get Stephen trying to convince Bloom to do this job. And that this is, you know, this is a good idea and that this is going to work and that you're going to feel better after this. And um, and, and then well, we, do, we get the. Uh, and I think we should talk to oh, say that, it. like, Bloom's main reason for not wanting to do this anymore is because he feels like Stephen is like writing out his life for him. Like he's like, I don't feel like yeah. I know who I am. I don't make any of my own yeah. choices because I'm always playing a character in one of your cons. Yeah. Which feels like a very actor thing. Like I, f- I feel like a sure. lot of actors probably feel that way. And it's uh, to me, it's a, pr- it 
to me, this seems like something that would be written by a former actor or something like that, um, based on, you know, his experiences. But I think, I think it's something that is interesting to see coming from a character like Adrian Brody, who's just, <laughs> um, I, f- I feel like in this movie, he doesn't feel like an actory actor. He feels like a very like natural person and not someone who you would assume would be in these, in the, in the actor role in the Carn artist gig. You know, what's interesting. I'm sure I have seen him before, but I can't remember an Adrian Brody movie I've ever watched. Um, really? Yeah. And so this was my first time, like, fully taking him in as an actor. Interesting. Yeah. He's in a lot of Wes Anderson stuff, which, So I'm, pro- again, I'm sure I probably have seen the... him. It's, like, one of those things where, like... Yeah. Um, but I'd never, like, you know, consciously taken him in. Yeah. As, like, a lead yeah. role. As, in like, a, wow. He's pretty great. He's, like, I was, like, right. wow, he's a really good actor. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. He's a good actor. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I know him mainly um, from the like very creepy Halle Berry kiss. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Wow, what a bummer. I know. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Um where were we? Um so we were talking about meeting Penelope. Oh yes. Um so I love the the way they kind of set up their introduction and meeting of just everything going wrong of he, him kind of walking through like, all right, here's how you meet your mark. Mark, it's best to do it in a hospital. It's best if they put you there um, and just how it doesn't go right. Like he gets hit. She doesn't stop. She ends up in the hospital. Um, he ends up sitting by her bed <laughs> and her waking him up um, to get a ride home. And so it's just like from the get go, it's this weird relationship and just her not interested in his story at all, like falling asleep. Um, and then their connection over kind of feeling displaced and kind of alone and her opening up with all of her ridiculously fun hobbies. <laughs> Um, that, 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 that's honestly my dream life is being stuck in a mansion with a a million hobbies. So that was another Ryan Johnson, like connect from other movies. Like, Oh, the mansion and knives out is like such a character. (laughs) And it's like, here's, we get to see him also like his affinity for like estates. Very particular estates. (laughs) Yeah. I will say like, I laughed very hard during that sequence when she's like asking him to throw her. The, yes, the chainsaw. The chainsaw. <laughs> it's such a great comedic beat. It really is. Oh, yeah. I th- and so I think her talking about the pinhole camera and all of the weird. I think there's just a bunch of like fun little things that um, really endear you to Penelope at the in- during this sequence. Um, that by the that immediately you're just like, I don't want them to con her. Like immediately. That's that <laughs> that's my thought. Well, um, and here's where I will say there's stuff in this movie that I think is like very predictable and like one of them and and I'm not some of it I'm kind of annoyed that it's so predictable and some of it I'm not because it's that's just movies Mm -hmm. but like one of them is like obviously you know like the two of them are gonna fall in love like that's you know right understandable um in that sequence when he's saying goodbye to her there's this shot where they're shaking hands and then he moves his thumb ever so slightly, like under her sleeve, like collar. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just, I loved that shot. I love the intimacy of that very small, small gesture. And it makes me wonder, um, like, is that purely out of affection? Is that some sort of con artist trick? Like, that's the kind of the thing you're always questioning with like a con movie is like, is this a maneuver um, right. or is this real? And that's the thing like mm-hmm. I think that both that he's questioning the whole time. Yeah. Is this the con yeah. or is this real? Right. And I think good con movies make everything clear at the end of which things were cons and which things were real. Right. I think every I think for the most part, every con movie gets a little messy in there somewhere. Yeah. As, so what's what? I think this movie um, gets and pretty I, messy. I, I, I agree. Yeah. Which I think it, <laughs> I, I agree. it's still a lovely movie because I think the co- emotional core of it is so strong. But as a con <laughs> movie, I think it's kind of messy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of it's forgivable because that's the point is like the unknown of what parts a con and what's not of, sure. of bloom. Um, but some of it is just messy for messy sake. I right. Think. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So they go to the boat um, and she shows up and 
I, I love her um, kind of forcing her way into this of just being like, oh, look, a boat. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> um, and so they set off. She meets Bang Bang, who I I love Bang Bang. Okay. I coming into this movie originally, I I understood that there were some there's some pro- problematic things, obviously, with Bang Bang. Yeah. But I love Bang Bang. <laughs> I mean, love the performance and yes. the style, especially. Oh my goodness! Like Bang Bang gets the best outfits in the whole movie. Um, the best outfits, the funniest things to do. Yes, but you know how problematic I find when you're like female character in your movie like just doesn't speak at all i think that's fucking bad (laughs) i don't think it's cute i think it's bad and i think it happens to women a lot and i think it also it probably i think it happens to like asian characters a lot um it happens to asian characters all the time yes and so for it to happen to both the the woman on the team and the asian (laughs) character on the team is really messed up i 100 percent agree I also think she does get a lot of autonomy in the fact that she is not tied to them or um, working for them in any way. Sure. I think to it's me, still it, to, an interesting character. I just don't think yeah. that the not speaking quirk is like necessary, especially when it's so problematic. 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I do think her relationship with Penelope is a lot of fun. Sure. And I think I think their friendship that that we kind of don't get to see but that is implied of just all of a sudden like she like she ends up liking them. She she ends up liking Penelope more than the than the brothers yeah. <laughs> bloom throughout this. Um I think all of that is a lot of fun. So all of yeah. And all of it I I I really like. Besides just being problematic, I think it's very cheap for any filmmaker to be like I know what will make this character so mysterious is they don't speak. It, I think yeah. that that's like a cheap, cheap play at adding mystery to a character. I think there are way more creative ways that you can make a character mysterious than just saying like, oh, they don't talk. Yeah. I think it's less about mystery and and more about giving them. Um, I, th- I think a lot of it is played for comedy. And I think you get a lot of the exact same thing with um, Yen in ocean in the oceans movies of just him not speaking english you right. know and them all understanding him and so because i mean I, I feel like a lot of that to me feels very similar to this situation the one thing um the difference i would say and like i think it's probably problematic that like in oceans he doesn't speak english and like you know but and correct me if i'm wrong but in my memory is like he still talks though like he doesn't speak speak English. Oh yeah. But he's not like a silent character, you know? He's not a silent character, but he's silent to the audience for the most part. I right. mean, we we don't get to know right. what he says. Right. So. Um but um, and I I don't think that that's I think that that could be improved, but I think there's a significant difference there in that like he's like not just like this like silently moving throughout life like with no like voice or thoughts. You know what I mean? Um Versus, like, this character, like, just, like, doesn't ever say anything. And I think that there are ways to, like, improve upon, like, you can have characters be mysterious and you can do a lot of that physical, silent comedy still with a character while not making them a character that doesn't ever speak. Um, I think that there are ways that you can, like, play around with that. you could have made it that like she only ever speaks to Penelope, you know, and like yeah, uh, like yeah. Or, or like you have two brothers, like she only talks to one of them, and like she constantly like mm-hmm. annoy ignores the other. Like I, I mean, I'm yeah. I'm just like throwing shit against the wall right now, but like right. what I'm saying is you don't have to sacrifice that like really fun silent comedy in order to like still still like not be problematic. I agree with you. I think I definitely think it's problematic, but I I don't think that we miss out on what she's feeling and thinking. I think a lot of the time we do know what she's feeling and thinking and it's sure. just not portrayed with right. words. Right. Which is kudos to like a really words. great performance by like that actress. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think I think at every any time she's on screen, we do know kind of what she's thinking and feeling, which I think is really really awesome for for, for for kind of what what she's given yeah but i agree if this movie came out today i think it would be a very different situation i right. don't think we'd <laughs> right and we would get a character like this i feel very comfortable calling this stuff out because from what i can tell 
Ryan Johnson is a filmmaker that has like grown since that this movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think even in this movie, like Penelope is a great character. And I think and I think there's a lot um, of very thing. I think there are things I hadn't seen in female characters that were in this movie, you know, and in 2008, that is just very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I do think he, he went wrong with Bang Bang, but I think he did a lot of really good stuff with Rachel Wise's character. Yeah. Totally. Including this part, this kind of this introduction on the boat where she where they dance. I love the dance. I love that she pulls a hat out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also her meeting the oh, what's his name? The the Belgian. Yes. Max um, the Belgian. Ma- yes, Max the Belgian. <laughs> I love it. I just love I love her reaction. I love the way she kind of stands up to him. Um, I love all of this mystery we get and the lighting changes as he walks in and out. Like it feels it again, coming back to some of the fairy tale elements. Like that's, that's kind of how this part feels. Well, and also the girl stuck in the castle, I think is like one of the big, yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yep. So we find out spoiler alert, they're smugglers. Um, <laughs> and she convinces them to take the job and they go to Prague. Um, I also love European, uh, city hopping in, in movies like this. Totally. So fun. So fun. I think, what, what is his name? This, the, the actor, Robbie Coltrane, the guy who plays Max. Mm. Um, I love him. I think he's very funny in this movie. I love his, his house and his shotgun <laughs> and drinking antics. All of that is very, very funny. Um, and them finding him in the closet later. Yeah. I love that. It's just... <laughs> Oh man, yeah, everything about that is great. Um, the do you want to talk about the heist, the actual heist part of this? Sure. Uh, Rachel Weiss, what she does with her character is just so charming throughout, and how like she, I, I related to her so much in that like I love these kind of movies so much that I feel like if I was in her shoes, in this like low stakes world, I guess. Um, that mm-hmm. I would be just as excited to be like, oh my God, I'm participating in a heist. Like, right. And, <laughs> and the, like that excitement overwhelms like all good thinking. Like I, the cut of when, um, Adrian Brody says like, it's going to be fine. As long as she doesn't do anything suspicious, like they'll just think she's a lost <laughs> clerk. And the cut yes. of her climbing in the air vents. Yes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you get you get a lot of the feeling that I think we all feel of like, I want to be part of this. I would do this. This would be fun. Um, She's kind of experiencing that. And you just yeah, you're right along there with her. And I think. But you also I think there's a lot of I don't know how to say this word. Naivete, 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 naivete um, that you get from her because she's, you know, been alone in this castle for so, so long and everything like that. But it's it's paired with a lot of her insight into what's going on that a lot of times you're like, Oh, she's so naive. And then immediately you're like, maybe she does know what's happening when she's doing the card trick at the table. When she talks about the name of the boat versus versus, um, with the Belgian's oh, name, what is it? with the Belgian's name. Yeah. yeah. Some of that stuff where you're like, Oh, does she know what's going on? Is she, is she kind of, and then, and then at the end when you're like, yeah, it's like she when she's like, it's fine. Like, it's fine. Take like take the money. This has been fun. Like, this has been worth it. Right. Kind of a thing. And there's just like, I think there's a lot of agency that her character gets that isn't. I will say um, that as like a fan of heist films and con films, I kept mm-hmm. expecting her to have some grand scheme like like a dirty rotten scoundrel situation yes i kept expecting Um, like her to be playing them in some way and maybe not like as maybe not like she was in it the whole time kind of thing um yeah but some something i expected her to have something up her sleeve that i don't think ever came Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but i think it's set up that way a little bit because we keep getting these hints that she might kind of know what's going on but by the time you get to mexico that you're like all right this is it this is where she's gonna pull out some kind of you know thing and then it doesn't happen yeah. she just she she sees their scheme um i, will I love s- the fake blood stuff that she <laughs> right i will say that <laughs> another line that like would not fly in a movie being me today is when he said like i don't mean to generalize but mexico is a horrible place for like horrible people <laughs> yes i i i love that line i think it's so funny 
that because he because he prefaces it with I don't, mean to, I don't want to I don't want I don't want to generalize I don't want to generalize and vilify an entire population but Mexico is a horrible place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it is a funny line but like yeah. you don't say that about that a country that's today. like no, being no. marginalized. <laughs> yeah, no. I think it's funnier <laughs> yeah. if it's a a country or like a city that like we if I think it's funnier if it's a, a fictional yeah. city. Um yeah. you know or it's a or it's a very nice place. Right. Like if like yep. Right. Punching up versus punching down. Like yes. if, <laughs> So <laughs> Yeah. I I'm I'm with you there. Right. <laughs> um but yeah, so I, I, I love that throughout the fight uh, between the brothers, you're you're kind of not sure. It's one of those again, one of those situations where you're like, Are is this a con? Is this a fight? I think this is a con. I'm not sure. Right. And that they give you the answer immediately. Right. I I, I, I don't think I would have liked it if, you know, we'd found out way later. That's the other thing I don't like about con movies, that it's like you find out, you know, after you've already invested so much energy that, oh, that part was a con. Oh, that part was a con. Right. Um, when you are unsure about it. So I love that immediately she finds the, the blood packet. And then he goes back to uh, Montenegro. <laughs> I do love that this movie, like keeps the pace up that it's not like we don't yeah. have like a montage of him like getting on the boat and leaving and settling in right. at Montenegro. It's like he's heartbroken and then cut to they're back together. Like it, it's, yes. you know, three months <laughs> later, they're all back together. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I think this at this point in the movie is where a lot of things kind of go off the rails. Um, and this movie gets a little sloppy um, just because I'm, unsure exactly what's happening in this in this part of the movie right but it's it gets hard to understand what the con is and hard to understand what everyone's motive is like he's yes. saying yes. like i love her but i don't want her to live this life so let's like break her heart um which doesn't seem like a very well thought out plan it seems like you can <laughs> break her heart by saying like by turning her away you know like yeah 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 um, the plan is to sell the book because the book is real and in the, in part of it, they get ambushed by diamond dogs gang and Steven gets held hostage. Can we go back to this first scene where we see diamond dog? Yes. Cause I think that's a really powerful scene. I agree. He, cause I, that, that, yeah, that's a really good point. Cause this whole, this whole time. I think, and, and you don't get a lot of background into what's happened with Diamond Dog, right. but Diamond Dog took them in, raised them, taught them, um, and it seems like abused them as well. Right, which I think the movie does a very good job about being very vague about that, but while making it yeah. clear that this was like a threatening man in their childhoods. Yes. Um very traumatic. And it also seems like they weren't the only two people, kids he was raising. Like, right. Yeah. Um, it seemed like there was a bunch, like a bunch. Yeah. And yeah, particularly abused, um, bloom. Like I think it yes. seems like a lot yeah. of kids got a lot of abuse, but like bloom probably got the most. And mm -hmm. part of the reason why they both hate him so much and why Steven is so aggressive and, towards diamond dog and protective of bloom is probably because of their childhood history. And yes, that witnessing that interaction between Steve and diamond dog and bloom and like all of their dynamics with each other, I think puts the whole story into perspective mm -hmm. and like the tenderness between Steven and bloom in that scene is really, really beautiful. Um, the way Steven like jumps into action the moment that he sees Diamond Dog is, yes. is really great. <laughs> um the way like you see Bloom like building up the courage to do something to fight back and then never getting to like fulfill that. Um Yep. I also think like this movie isn't explicitly about this, but there's a way that Diamond Dog like puts his hand on Bloom's knee that could, that one reading could be that he was like also sexually abused. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know that, uh, like I said, I don't think the movie's like explicitly saying that. And that's just like a read that I have, but it, I think that would like make sense in the context of this movie. 
Yeah. And the like protectiveness that Steven has. Mm-hmm. The lo- the line that's like just so great is like I'm, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't be there and he's like you I guess, you can't always be there. And he was like I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean that scene was and, like really and, really moving. Yeah. And that I think is is where it gets difficult for me at the end is is the point of this and obviously we're getting into spoilers here, yeah. but is the point of this last situation that we're doing not sure if it's a con not sure if it is (laughs) um to get bloom over the abuse to not over the get him over the abuse but get him to where he takes um, action is fine without steven and yeah i can take action for himself or is it for him to be able to move on and love penelope do you want to hear my read of this final con scene yes my read so here's where we get into things that I think were very predictable that mm-hmm. I both like and don't like about this movie. Um, yeah. Poetically, I like them. But as a viewer, like I saw so much of this coming that it was like, well, I wish I wasn't able to figure this out so easily, you know, um, because it's like the whole movie. I was just waiting for this to happen because you laid mm-hmm. it out so clearly at the beginning of the movie. So <laughs> at the beginning of the movie, um, Stephen ha- or one of them has fake blood on them. And hours later, it's bright red. And Stephen says, oh, that's the problem with fake blood is that real blood turns brown. And so as soon as that is said, I'm like, oh, OK, well, <laughs> clearly at, the, at some point in this movie, someone is going to either pretend to be alive when they're dying or pretend to be dead when they're actually alive, you know, like, and we're going to be able to tell because of the blood on the shirt. Like, Mm -hmm. so you, I just know that that's coming throughout the whole movie. And ideally something, a twist would be that so obviously laid out. Um, Yeah. And then the second thing that was like very clearly laid out is that Steven tells Bloom, um, when Bloom is like, you're doing this to like, you know, get me interested in the girl or whatever. And Steven says, Bloom, the day I con you is the day I die. And so like, you know, throughout the movies, like, okay, this is going to end with him conning his brother and he's going to die in the act. Like, just know that's coming. So all that being said, um, I think that the diamond dog, plot was real and wasn't a con um but in the midst of it steven sees the opportunity to like give his brother a better life and so he cons his brother into leaving him thinking he's okay running off with the girl he like tell tells his brother as if it's a con because that his is what his brother like will be comfortable with doing um, and then dies as the final act. And like, he's only, he can, he's, he's only comfortable enough to con his brother into like leaving him because he knows he's about to die. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that is my reading as well. I, I agree with you that it's set up a little clumsily. I, I actually wouldn't even say clumsily. It's just that it, a lot of that setup is obvious. So, you know, some of it's coming that it makes you think that maybe there's another twist <laughs> coming or something like that, because I can see this this happening. Um, but I still love it. Like, that's that's the thing, like right. even down to that, that part when it's happening and you're just like, yes, yes, bloom, free yourself, <laughs> shoot the guy. <laughs> well, it's, so, um, it's so moving that it is like his brother loves him that much. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And even though even when you know it's coming, when he wakes up in the car and sees the blood, like all of that is super affecting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's yeah. So. Very, very moving. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, lo- I just love what this movie has to say about like, you know, as a person who loves storytelling, I love the philosophy that like our lives are stories we are constantly telling. And in order to mm-hmm. have a good life, you have to like know how to tell a good story and you and you get to choose the story for yourself. Yeah. There's no such thing as an unwritten life. Yeah. <laughs> You're writing it. Yeah. <laughs> and so he runs off into the sunset with the or the sunrise with the girl. Yeah. And that's the brother's bloom. That is the brother's <laughs> bloom. Um, uh, I really love this movie and 
it's just like, oh, Ryan, you're such a softy. You know what I mean? Like he works yeah. in these very like hard boy genres, you know, like typically. <laughs> right. I love that. Yes. Yes. It's so true. Yeah. And he's a softy and a hard boy a genre. Softy, <laughs> and that's what I mean, I love about him. That's what I mean. That's yeah. the best type of movies are the movies that take like these genres and give them this gooey emotional core. Yeah, because he is taking you're right. He's taking genres that do not have good emotional payoffs. Yeah. And really, really focusing on that. And how can I build this movie around that emotional payoff, which um, is quite lovely. Yes. I do love that that that, <laughs> that mentality. Sure is great. <laughs> so. Yep. <laughs> Keep it up, yeah. bud. <laughs> yeah. So um, this movie, so his last movie, Brick, Brick cost him $400,000 to make. Um, this movie was budgeted at $20 million. So this is his first time working with big stars, first time with a huge production budget. He had to do explos- explosions and everything like that. This movie only made $5.5 million. Ooh. So this was a quite a big failure. Bummer. Um, yeah. Which sucks because this is exactly the kind of movie that I feel like I would go see in theaters. Like this is a hundred percent what I would want out of a theater movie. Like 5.5 million. That means it probably didn't get a wide release. Like it was not, um, I don't think it was advertised very much. Like it's, it's, it's not a surprise that this is the movie that we haven't seen out of all of his (laughs) movies just because it probably wasn't that big of a deal, um, in September when it came out. So in September in 2008 when it came out. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm sad about that, but I'm glad he got to keep making movies. I feel like if this were nowadays, um, a a huge, a huge flop like this would put him kind of on the back burner. Um, but he, after this, he does move on to, uh, directing some like breaking bad episodes before, uh, making his next movie. Did you watch breaking bad? I did. Yeah, I did not. So I'm familiar with his His episodes. His episodes are some of the best episodes of all of Breaking Bad. Um, How many did he direct? And he directed three episodes. Um, three episodes, I think, in three different seasons. And the final one is, I think, the episode that got him the Star Wars movie. Mm. Like, like that is... I think people... There was just so much praise around how well this movie was... I mean, this this episode of TV was kind of put together that um, he got a lot of like, I, I think at that point in time, I hadn't heard of him as a director. I'd seen his movies and kind of like kind of knew who he was, but it was very popular about people talking about Ryan Johnson based off of <laughs> off of Breaking Bad, which I think is is really impressive. So I'm wondering if I should go watch yeah. those episodes. I if you don't, if you're not interested in Breaking Bad, I would probably not okay. because they it's mostly about how different they are from other Breaking Bad episodes. So, and less of like, you know, because, because I I do think they are great television, Mm -hmm. but they're great television in context of what they're up against. So, sure. But yeah. So I I don't think you have to. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Before we sign off, I just want to say, we haven't really talked a lot about Mark Ruffalo and Mark Ruffalo is great in this movie as he always is. National treasure. And it was fun to see him, not be the swoony one you know what i mean like for him to be the one that is like the wise talking showman i really loved that i think that's a good good spot for him and honestly as i think he gets older he's gonna i think move into a lot more of those roles where because i think i think I mean, I don't i forget how old he is but he's 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 always been kind of swoon worthy and i think I think people will start seeing him more as someone who can do a lot of these like fun um, kind of one one note is the wrong word. But like um, I feel like people always want to throw a love interest in there for him. Yeah, because he's and I feel like he doesn't he doesn't need that. hot. That's why he is. Yes, yes, exactly. And so I think as he gets older and he moves out of the love interest role, like he will get a lot more fun character. Don't don't wish that for me, Lucas. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Mark Ruffalo always looking good. Forever young. Yeah. Right. (laughs) All right. Anything else about the Brothers Bloom before we sign off? No, I loved this. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Sandra, where can we find you? 
everywhere on the internet. You can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And go find me on TikTok, because I'm making TikToks now. Whoa. Not many. I'm not on not TikTok, many. so I will not find you. <laughs> They're hard. They're, like, but really hard to make. It's, it seems like it. <laughs> You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. Um, I will be watching TikToks that Sandra tweets <laughs> on Twitter. Yes. So. Bye-bye. Adios. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. <laughs>